Well, today we're reading from Luke chapter 1. So if you want to flip to Luke chapter 1 in your Bibles. Verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nash, in your jammas. This is great. So Nash is lighting um, the candle for this week. This week, you guys, is joy in the Advent calendar. So um, we're talking all about rejoicing today. And we light in anticipation of waiting for the birth of Jesus. Um, And I love this. Considering Jesus as a baby, what a gift it is. So if we haven't met yet, I'm Aaliyah. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to see you guys. How are you doing? Good. That was, you know, Paolo is doing awesome, so this is great. (laughs) Oh, man. But today, we are talking about joy, and it comes um, by the announcement of the conception of the Savior of the world. What an incredible thing. We anticipate the birth of Messiah Jesus every Advent season. Um, And joy is brought about by this shockingly surprising pregnancy that came to an engaged virgin pretty miraculous. Um, yeah. And I want to I pause for just a second because every Advent we spend time and we think, we hear, oh, Jesus, born of a virgin. We even, we even quote this as we say creeds and we, we do our confessions. But it can become this kind of routine thing that loses its miraculous nature. So I want to pause for just a second and think about the fact that our Lord and Savior came as a baby and not just as a baby, but through a virgin. That is wild. So we want to kind of camp out on Mary's story today and consider the joy that comes with that. So in college, this was many years ago, not that many years ago, okay, I'm not that old. Some years ago, uh, I happened to be in the school bathroom at the same time as a girl in my class, and she'd become a really good friend. And a lot of women have experienced this scene, either personally or with a friend, Um, but it's the panic of a dollar store purchase pregnancy test. And we're looking for that reassuring negative when it's an unplanned pregnancy on the table, and this is where she was that day. Um, 
And that day, her dollar store test was positive, and she wasn't in a relationship in the traditional sense or really in any sense of the word at all. Um, and there was tears and there was overwhelming fear and uncertainty and this hope that it was a false positive. And I just remember sitting with her and letting her cry and I listened and I asked her what she needed and I prayed a lot <laughs> while she was talking. Um, and she said she just needed to know if she was pregnant for sure. That was like her next step so that she could make a plan um, after that. So. I got on the phone with the only people I knew equipped to do that, and it was good friends of mine who had been in her position before who worked at a pregnancy resource center, and, and they had um, an ultrasound ready for her to go, so we drove, we went, um, and she heard her baby's heartbeat, and she saw little fingers and little toes, and I am not kidding. I don't think any of her fear went away. As a matter of fact, when she saw that baby on the screen, her fear maybe intensified. But any fear she felt was so overcome with joy. Just seeing this little life inside of her, she knew like immediately she wanted to keep this baby. Um, and she knew the months coming would be really messy, and they were. So we had a baby shower. We brought this little girl into the world who was so precious. Um, and then as time went on, we ended school and we lost touch. And a couple years ago, I actually got a picture of her daughter who was about to enter into junior high. She sent me a picture and it just had a note and all it said was, thank you, I don't know what I would do without her. Those are the moments that you live for, it's beautiful. And these stories, 15 years later, there's hindsight and there's redemption and this little baby became a real person that has value in relationship. Um, but in the moment, it doesn't feel like that. You don't have hindsight. You don't have the ability to see past the messiness um, of unplannedness. And so today we read about Mary and we're learning that she would give birth to the Savior of the world. We know how this story goes. We kind of know how it ends even. But it's really important that we enter her moment and we sit in the tension. And on Rejoice Sunday, we spend time focusing on this word, rejoice. Today in this room, there's going to be a whole spectrum of emotion. And I want to acknowledge that as we're in the Christmas season, joy and happiness and festivities, all of that stuff can have a special sting if we're going through difficult times. So just this week alone, I've been able to celebrate. There's people who have just had new babies. Um, and there's people who, I don't know, have gotten new jobs. There's people who have just gotten engaged and we're celebrating. This is a special time of year. And in the same week, I've sat with and prayed for people who are learning how to navigate holidays without loved ones for the first time. There's people going through miscarriages right now. There are people um, who are figuring out what it looks like to do cancer treatments and have Christmas parties in the same week. That's heavy. And that's just on a personal level. I'm sure you can think of. It's either you or it's someone you know is walking through beautiful and difficult things. And then if we look at the news, we see that this, the layers just keep going on out. We know we're in a suffering world. So this week, as I'm thinking through this teaching and I'm thinking about um, the tension that we hold as we're holding this rejoice with this sorrow, um, a friend of mine posted this on Instagram, and it says this, this December is not Decembering like the other Decembers that Decembered. 
don't know, Gen Z just has a way of putting our moment into poetry. So thank you guys. But depending on where you sit in this Advent season, there might be some dissonance. Because about this year, about this time every year, a week or two before Christmas, um, everything is shouting at us to feel happiness, to have everything together, to have those perfect moments. And it tends to actually highlight tough feelings that we're experiencing. And it feels a bit opposite of what we experience or are supposed to experience in the Christmas season. It's tough. And it's why, in the midst of Rejoice Sunday, we need to name the dissonance today. So as the family of God, we are rescued by Jesus and filled with the Spirit. This is true. But at the same time, we're waiting for Jesus to redeem everything that this broken universe and our lives hold. And that means we rejoice that we belong to the family of God, that we belong to one another, you guys, in this room. We belong to each other. And we lament loneliness that is right here in this room. Those two truths are, are, are here, represented. We rejoice that we're adopted by the king of, of heaven. We have a good father who has brought us into his family. And we mourn a world that produces absentee parents and leaves kids in the foster care system. We rejoice as we acknowledge during this Advent season in particular that Emmanuel, God with us, peace on earth is coming and there is war raging. We rejoice that God is saving the world and healing lives every day by the thousands through the church while we also name spiritual abuse that is done in the name of Jesus in those same spaces. So this, this list of dissonance goes on, and especially at Christmas time, we rejoice deeply, we do that, and we lament bitterly. And we bring both of these to Jesus in tremendous tension. He can handle it. So this is what the third Sunday is all about, which is why Mary is the perfect person to pay attention to on Joy Sunday. I can't imagine a better example of someone who held incredible tension in her own story. And the church knows this about Mary. That's why we're in the liturgical calendar. And, and they put her Magnificat, her song that she sings as she's rejoicing at the, 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 the news of being the mother of God. Last week, A.J. Swoboda walked us through um, Mary's husband, Joseph. And then today, we're going to go straight to the mother of God herself. Um, specifically her wonderful song. We want to kind of take time and dive into what she's experiencing. But we need to imagine ourselves in a culture 2,000 years ago. That's important when we read the Bible. Mary would have been a marriageable age. We know um, that she was engaged, which means she was in her mid to late teens. 2,000 years ago, that's where we're at. Mid to late teens. She's going to marry this guy who's a descendant of one of the great kings of Israel. So that's awesome. Things are actually going really well for Mary. Um, and we're kind of painting the scene for her life. For Mary, in her time, her life was headed in a great direction, yes. But all of a sudden, it kind of takes a completely different turn. And well before the song that Mary sings that we're going to talk about today, Mary has an encounter with Gabriel, an angel. 
And he comes to Mary, and it's crazy. And she's told that she is favored by the Lord and that she's going to be pregnant, which is miraculous since she's a virgin. And the angel appears to Mary and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And here's what she says. She was troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She's going to give birth to the Son of God, and this is when she's finding that out. And the angel is, that's visiting her is telling her that her life is about to get really complicated really quickly. So let's let Mary's tension sink in for a minute. Let's appreciate her predicament. We don't want to move beyond it too quickly. Um, she's getting the news that her life's about to get really hard, but it's also going to be a blessing. And on one hand, Mary, being a Hebrew girl, has been anticipating the coming of Messiah with her people. And this has been that way for centuries. But we also have to pause and wonder and step into this teenage girl's moment. As she's getting the news of her pregnancy, it's hard for us to imagine in our time, but in this ancient world, as a Hebrew woman who was obedient to Yahweh, I'd argue that this situation was even more complex. And Mary probably wouldn't have been able to rationalize it all the way. So first of all, she's not married. So instantly, especially in a small religious town, um, this had the potential to be devastating and life-altering news. And secondly, this is not just about her reputation, but it's also her fiancé had the legal uh, right to divorce her, to call off the engagement. And this is all threatening. This Israelite girl in a culture where your protection, your provision, and your position would come for your husband, it was all on the line. And yet, Mary's response, she was troubled, but she received it in total humility and acceptance. And this is what she says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It's an incredible response from a teenage girl. God initiates, and then Mary gives her consent. This is a powerful moment of her accepting this call on her life. And the question immediately becomes, what did it take for Mary to respond like that? If it was me, I would probably say, oh, no, I'm sorry, Gabriel, you've got the wrong girl. Um, there's no way the Lord would want to give me this baby. There'd be the appearance of evil. There's no way. But quickly, we see why God chose Mary. When her situation was a tension of both blessing and uncertainty, she responded with humility and acceptance. God God placed this call on her life, and she received it. And how is the question? And the answer, simply put, is our topic for today, which is joy or rejoicing. This is her response when God puts a call on her life. So Mary accepts this call to be the mother of God, and, and it shows us how to pursue joy. So let's watch her story. We're going to read in verse 39 again. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in, a, in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. 
But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Because Mary believes the word of the Lord, Elizabeth is full of the Holy Spirit. Just at a greeting that Mary gives, she knows. And there's something really important to take notice of here. Um, I think Gabriel really knew that Mary needed to share this joy to make it complete. Scripture talks about that. Make my joy complete. We do that in community. We need to hear ourselves rejoice and lament and process with the people around us who also love Jesus. It makes it real and tangible. So Mary and Elizabeth share this powerful moment where an old woman who thought she was barren is carrying a child, and a young woman who absolutely should not be able to be carrying a child is. And we see these two miraculous things happening side by side, and they get to share their joy with one another. There's so much comfort and confidence that comes from relationships that are built upon unity in the spirit. We need these. So this is when we see Mary actually just burst forth with the first Christmas carol, is when she gets to share her joy with Elizabeth, and this is what she sings. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Here's Mary rejoicing in God with tremendous tension and lament that's present here. Mary literally chose to attach her own spirit to God's spirit. And through the act of rejoicing in the reality of this God as her only source of rescue, my soul glorifies, or we might say magnifies or amplifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my rescuer. There's something important here. Mary knew where she came from. <clears throat> she came from a long line of sad and suffering people who know that their only concrete source of joy will always be in this rescuing God who always, literally always, from the beginning of time, has been rescuing his people. Psalm 145 says, near to all who call upon his name in truth. That is who our God is. So Mary knows this deeply, and that's her instinctive response to God's wild and crazy news. It's not to downplay or deny her very real problems, but to trust and rejoice in the reality of her present rescuer, while simultaneously naming her problems in the very presence of her God. Talk about the tension that she's dealing with here. And listen, there is a word for this tension in the Christian vocabulary. This tension of joy and sorrow is the word joy. So she goes on to sing, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed and the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Here's Mary rejoicing in God with tremendous tension and lament. The joy couldn't be more different than, than our kind of cultural Christmassy happiness that we're experiencing right now. And, and I do want to just talk about that for a second. We, are, we really are in a time where feelings, how we process things, become the authority in our life. And I, and I would argue that Mary is pushing back 
on us as a culture. She is showing us where true joy is rooted in. And it's not how we feel, and it's not our circumstances, and that's hard. So we look at secular culture, and we see that the primary informer is our feelings. And we want to lay those things down. I think, I think our tendency in this moment can be to build boundaries and safeties around ourselves. Healthy boundaries are good, but an abuse of boundaries that keeps out the bad can also keep out the good. Mary is willing to let her life be a living sacrifice for God. It's not comfortable. I think it would be reasonable for her to make a boundary and say, no, this doesn't make sense for me. So it's a good thing to feel good feelings. I love them. I love Christmas time. I love all the movies, all the things. But our joy or our rejoicing isn't really a feeling at all. But according to this 15-year-old Middle Eastern girl, joy is something we choose to actively pursue and participate in as we walk the sometimes mundane road of obedience towards Messiah Jesus. Joy is a gift that we carry. And when trials come, it has the ability to carry us in the midst of uncertainty and brokenness. So joy in, is in the Bible as responding to God with humility and acceptance amidst life's tension of blessing and suffering. Life is beautiful and painful, and joy recognizes both of those. Joy is this bucket that can hold that tension. And there's beauty and there's pain, and neither one minimizes the other. So our call is to commit both of these things to God and trust that God is the one who can truly help. So this, you guys, this is joy. This is rejoicing because in this tense reality, God will always be our source of rescue. He's our only source of rescue. And those who know this experience joy, we rejoice. But how was Mary able to access this kind of joy in such a troubling moment? So part of the answer is actually the brilliance of how Luke writes uh, chapter one in this gospel. This is really cool. So here in the gospel of Luke, before Luke tells Mary's story, he parallels her story with a similar story of someone else, and it's this old man. It's this priestly Jerusalem figure named Zechariah, a faithful man. And he also receives a special message from an angel, Gabriel, about a miraculous birth, but he doesn't believe it right away. It takes him a little bit longer. He actually lacks a little bit of faith. It takes him a little bit of time to accept this message from God. And because of it, he spends time in silence until his baby is born. So um, let's look at this parallel really quick. Luke does this intentionally. So we have Zechariah. He's an important religious leader. He has power. He's a priestly old man, and he gets an angel birth announcement. But he doesn't believe it, and then he spends time silenced. Then we have Mary. And she's unimportant culturally. I doubt many people knew who she was. She does not have power or influence. She's an engaged teenage girl. And she gets an angel birth announcement. But she believes it. And then God gives her a song. And she gets to proclaim God's goodness. 
So this is what Luke's gospel loves to do. He loves to actually show us that almost always the people in low social positions, people who aren't important, people who know that they have a great need for God's grace and mercy, Luke highlights these people as the exalted ones, and he wants to elevate these voices. These are the people who are most important in God's economy. These people, these people with no status, become heroes of the faith. So Luke talks about shepherds getting the angel's song at Jesus' birth, and then Zacchaeus and so on, but Mary is the first in this list. And with that, she sings this praise. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. So she's the first among all people with low status, who show great faith and take joy in God, and it all begins with Mary. And honestly, Mary knows this. The answer to the question of how was Mary able to access joy in such an uncertain moment. I think Mary displays for us something deeply important. And we don't have a backstory on Mary's short life leading up to this account, Um, but we do see the fruit of her years. I think we can assume who she was. When the angel approaches her, he says, you are favored by God. And we see the substance of Mary come out in moments of tension, which is what happens in our lives. We see the substance of who we are when we are faced with tension. And her love of and submission to Yahweh is the chief informer of how she lives her life. Trust in God, who he says he is. Who he says he is in his word, not who she feels he is. Knowing him, we see the nearly immediately response she gives in the midst of uncertainty And what had the potential to be devastating news, instead, without all the answers, without knowing exactly what will happen, she's able to rejoice. So Mary accepts this gift, and she accepts the Holy Spirit. And this enables her to be and do more than she could have done by herself, more than she could have even done with a husband. Mary magnifies the Lord, and he has magnified her. And it's because she's the first in a long line of underdogs that God is going to elevate her above all people. Her culture considers rich and successful and powerful, but she believes in her bones that God defines her value. She sees reality clearly, and the result is joy. And so she closes with this. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And I love that Mary sings about this, pointing back to centuries of God's faithfulness. God has not forgotten. He's been faithful not just to Mary, but to her ancestors. And all of this is being fulfilled within her. It's like she's able to jump out of Luke's gospel and be like, oh, I I already know this is what God is like. I already know that he platforms the voices of the unheard. 
I already know that he's on the side of the oppressed and the abused. I already know this because I know who God is. He is the rescuer. He makes the arrogant lose and the humble win, even if justice doesn't happen. In our desired time frame, which is a reality we're still living in, God will be faithful to bring justice. This is his promise. Because God's rescue is inevitable. Actually, I want to say that again. That line is something that's been reverberating in my head this week. God's justice, God's rescue is inevitable. We need to know that deeply in our soul. And this is how we rejoice. And it doesn't mean uh, that we don't cry. It doesn't mean that um, we don't have moments that are difficult. But it means that when we're in the midst of tears and suffering, we know where to take those things. Um, If you know me, you know that I'm a crier. It's just, it's who I am. And I don't know. It's what it is. I wish it wasn't. And there's this funny thing that happens uh, for criers, people who cry easily. We apologize the entire time we do it because it's weird for everyone. I'm like, I'm sorry, this is just what I do. I don't know. But I think there's something really important that Mary displays for us here. She's actually not ashamed of her tears and her process. We see this all throughout scripture. We see David, we see the psalmist able to bring raw and real emotions before a good father. I think, I think these, these biblical heroes that we see often actually look weak. But we know that from scripture, in our weakness, he is strong. And so I think for whatever reason, um, when we apologize for our tears, we actually, we need to learn to unapologetically bring them before God. This is where we find joy. We need to be able to cry as a community. We actually need to be able to cry for our personal losses, our lost relationships, um, sickness, people, people, even our neighbors, you guys. We are 20 minutes from people, refugees who are across the border. Kids in our own country who age out of the foster care system without ever being placed. We need to lament these situations. There's people right now experiencing unspeakable war and violence in multiple continents. And we enjoy relatively peaceful lives in San Diego for the most part, and we still have our own suffering. We need to to have tears over abuse masquerading as leadership in God's church. Tears over our own anxiety, maybe postpartum depression, difficult relationships. I do wonder what it would look like um, for us to be an unapologetically vulnerable community of believers where we bring God our tears consistently, where we, we're open to giving and receiving help from one another by the power of God's rescuing spirit, what would that look like? I really think it would look like joy. It would look like Mary's response, which is called the Magnificat, which literally means my soul magnifies the Lord. This is Mary's worship. She has much to cry about, and there's no apologizing. There's raw faith in the God who will enter the plight of the oppressed and save while tearing down the prideful platforms of the arrogant. 
Mary held the savior of the world in her womb, a son who was hers. This son that Mary carried, it was her son. It was also the son of God. And after Mary gave birth, as the shepherds came to see Jesus and recounted what the heavenly host had told them, she meditated on what Gabriel told her and what she knew from the scriptures. And Luke tells us that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And I'd, I'd argue this. This is going out on like a little bit of a loom. But I really believe that this display of, of a practice is present in Mary's life long before this moment. I think this shows her soul reps. She knows how to rejoice and praise the Lord. She knew how to ponder and treasure the wonderful things of God before. She had this relationship and understanding of who God was, and she marveled and she magnified the Lord. This was her go-to, and it was consistently her source of joy. So Mary really does exemplify the wise woman in Proverbs 31. She's clothed in strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. This is not because the future is not scary. It's because she knows the faithfulness of God. And she held fast to the truth that Gabriel had told her, and she knew that God had entrusted her with a son. She would treasure and hold and teach this son, and he would bring redemption to a broken world. Joy in the midst of her messy pregnancy. Joy in fleeing political danger that literally threatened the life of her newborn baby boy. She had joy giving birth in a stable that was dirty. She had joy in the midst of staying by her son as she watched him die on the cross. She had joy as she watched him rise from the dead. And our call is to hold and ponder and treasure the things of God in a way that demands that our soul magnifies the Lord. Joy is the outcome of a life lived this way. And so this, God gives us these heroes of the faith who have come face to face with God so that we might emulate them. Mary shows us how to magnify the Lord as we wait and we anticipate the coming of King Jesus. And in just a couple minutes, we are, we are going to come to the table. We're going to kind of skip ahead in this story of who Jesus is, because we do know, um, not how it ends, but we know how this part ends. Um, but Jesus has gone before us. We look at Mary today as somebody who we can emulate, a hero of the faith, someone we can look to and we can, we can know how to live. But Jesus is not just an example. Jesus isn't just someone we emulate. He is our substitute and our sacrifice. Jesus stood in our place. He has made a way where we could not. He covers that distance. And so this whole story points to Jesus. This points to God, that we would magnify him, that we would know him, and that he would be our only source of joy because he is our rescuer. And I want to read Hebrews 12 over us. It just points to Jesus as we bring up the worship team again. We're going to worship together in a couple minutes. But here's what Hebrews 12 has to say. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. There's a concrete step. Maybe it's step one. Throw off everything that hinders. And let us run with perseverance the race marked for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. This is that rescuer. He's going to keep, keep us going. We can't do this without him. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We have been given this gift of who Jesus is, this person who entered joy in suffering, who went to the cross so that we would not grow weary, so that we would not lose heart, so that we could chase after him with everything that we have. This is the gift that we have in him. He's our source of joy. He will not leave or forsake us, so, so don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Take joy. No matter what this season brings for you, joy has to come from knowing who you are in light of who God is. So, Father, we come before you today. We thank you for this beautiful example. We thank you for this story of a God who would be willing to become a baby. It's hard to even fathom. But we are so thankful. So Lord, would you help us to magnify you even in these next couple minutes as we're worshiping together, listening to one another's voices, would you help us to magnify you and understand that you are our source. You are our rescuer. Let's worship together and then in a couple minutes we'll we'll take communion.